The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, individuality, and I mean you and you and you. Let's get started. Henry Ford is credited so many years ago with speeding the transition from a make-for-me economy to what we know as a mass-produced economy of, anybody around old enough to remember or read about it, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Okay, Henry Ford, thank you much. But then along came pop culture. And it told us it was okay to be us again. Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. Yes, thank you, Frank. And then Sammy Davis Jr. came along and he said, I've got to be me, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find a place in this world and never belong, I've got to be me. Thank you, Sammy Davis Jr. So consumers began demanding made-for-me products and services. But guess what? They wanted lower price and higher quality. That's a little bit interesting for manufacturers and service providers. And the big question today is, can new technologies help companies answer the cry for this customization and stay in business profitably. That's what it's all about. I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out and see if we can see the future together. First up on the panel is Whitney Johnson. She calls herself a disruptive innovation facilitator. I love the title. Whitney sent me the following quote. It's an original. Winners know when to quit. Hmm. And it's based on her recent blog post about not running a marathon. So without further ado, I welcome my first guest, Whitney Johnson. Good morning. How are you, Whitney? Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Delighted to meet you. You've got quite an interesting background. We'll try to touch on it a little during the show. So tell me, winners know when to quit. Really, Whitney? What were you thinking? Talk to me. Absolutely. Well, as um, you alluded to, I had planned on running the marathon, the Boston Marathon, this week after last year, and I thought that, you know, the bombers are not going to win. I started training. I'd gotten up to 14 miles. I applied for a bib, and then I decided not to do this, and I quit, and I was feeling pretty hard on myself. But then I, I started to do some research, and let me sort of tell you how I think this ties into the make-for-me future. In sure. our era, there's this underlying assumption that we know what we want, and whatever we want is actually available to us. So the more that's available to us means we have more choices, and now we have to choose, and not everything makes sense to do. And mm-hmm. what I discovered from this research is that if we aren't willing to renounce these hard-to-attain goals for us, we have these increased levels of a C-reactive protein that's linked to heart disease, and it lowers our ability to reach the right goals for us. And so what I'm discovering is that in this make-for-me generation, when we have 
ever more choices, we have to know when to quit because otherwise we're going to be pursuing goals that may not actually be the best goals for us. Interesting. So you let yourself off the hook for not running. Is that correct? I did. Absolutely. And, so that I can do you, dreams yeah. that are more important to me. Very interesting. So you're talking about prioritization, right? You're talking about prioritization on a very personal and individual basis. Whitney, before I introduce our second guest, let me just explore this a little bit further with you. When it comes to companies providing services and products in the, okay, make for me generation now, I want it now, I want it better, I want it faster, I want it high quality, low price, and I want it exactly how and when and where I want it. That's the hue and cry. But what you're saying about winners know when to quit, how does that apply? Just briefly, to companies that are part of this this onslaught of demand. What do they say? Oh, it's not a priority. We won't do it. How do they survive that, Whitney? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that a company has to do in order to survive and thrive is they have to, number one, take the right kinds of risks, which means that they um, focus on market, not competitive risk. They play where no one else is playing. And then they have to play to their distinctive strengths, what they do uniquely well that their competitors do not do. And so I think both of those um, earmarks or traits of a disruptor imply the ability to make choices and, and to choose between one thing over another in order to not only service their customers but be profitable. Sounds like it takes some very smart people. It brings to mind the idea of the USP unique selling proposition where you're saying it can be and should be very unique to the company and their market. Thank you, Whitney Johnson. Good start to our topic. Let me bring on our second panelist. She's no stranger to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Elizabeth Hedstrom Hanlon from TBR. And Elizabeth sent me a quote from Mark Twain. Here we go. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority... It's time to pause and reflect. Sounds like Mark Twain. Sounds like Elizabeth. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. <laughs> How are you? Always you make me laugh when we start these intros. Well, I just want to make you smile if you laugh. That's up to you. You always, you always do. No, I, I loved I loved Whitney's quote actually because I think it ties very great? neatly into where technology business research and our research sees this market. This idea of Knowing when to walk away from customization and knowing when to, from a vendor perspective, we see a lot of companies trying to move their customer base from made for me to good enough. And mm. we're seeing a world where there's a lot of, of convergence now between, in the customer space, between the role of the line of business buyer and the role of the IT buyer. And there's a teaming now between those two entities like there's never been before. Budgeting really is coming back, but it's by no means returned to, say, 2008, 2009 levels of spend. So everyone has to work together to get $5 of return from $1 of investment. And this is where customers want to buy only what they need, only what works best for them. And the opportunity really, I think, exists for the vendors themselves to figure Mm -hmm. out how do you make a package Look like customization because I think for those of us who've been covering this market a while, everyone remembers the incredibly the days of incredibly customized ERP implementations where the updates themselves took probably ten years to get in place because it was so nuanced, so specifically built. Now it's about modular packaging, it's about rapid deployments, and it's about how to take advantage of the best of what's around without completely interrupting everything you already have. So I think it's a very exciting time to be looking at this idea. 
It is. And thank you, Elizabeth, for giving us a different perspective. So we're looking at the perspective of how does a vendor choose what's right for them and, and in order to be what they want to be for their marketplace. So I think we've got several layers to our conversation, which will make it very, very interesting and rich. And now I'm going to bring on our third panelist, last but definitely not least. He's a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. He's from SAP, and his name is Reuven Gorscht. I feel like saying, and step right up and pick a window, Reuven. And Reuven sent me the following quote, very interesting. Listen up, everyone. This is quotable in bits and pieces. Where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Business has been dehumanized. The bartender who used to know you by name has been replaced by big brands and barcodes. The make-for-me economy brings back customer centricity and new, in new and arguably even better ways. Welcome, Reuven Gorscht. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, and, uh, delighted. Talk to me. Where, which bartender are we talking about? Are they still well, mixing drinks? Are they saying, okay, I've got 10 of this and 20 of this. Take a pick and leave the money on the bar. No more custom drinks. <laughs> OMG. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so I think, you know, what we're seeing is, is, is essentially a major, a major paradigm change. And it's not so much that the, the past is repeating itself. So if we think about personalized service, um, we, we used to, we used to have the bartender know you by name, the shopkeeper, the barber, and so on. And they knew you, they knew what you wanted, you, you, got, you got that level of experience. And then we went through um, the, the various stages in the industrial age, mass production, barcodes, production lines, etc. And we've still got companies that are calling themselves customer-centric, but when it really comes down to the customer, they're within a segment, and, and of course you've got your demographics and psychographics and so on. But we're really seeing a major return to personalization and it's really powered by um, trends such as technology and and um, and things like uh, the ability to digitally fabricate um, fabricate products and sell and market some of those products, mm-hmm. etc. So, so whereas customization has really gone away and it was mainly for luxury goods, um, I I see it coming back in a really major way um, and and coming back in a in, in perhaps in a very different. Um, shape and, um, and, and really focus around that customer experience and delivering um, a new level of experience for any customer. And experience, of course, is a major word here. Uh, Reuben, if you could close your eyes, make a wish, and come back to us in three seconds with a wish, what would you want to have in the make-for-me economy that would meet your needs right now? What product or service would you want somebody to say, Reuben, we've got exactly what you want and we can give it to you right now at the right pl- price? What would that be? I think um, you know, no, no, nothing specific in terms of in terms of product or, or service. I, I I really crave. I think the the experience is really a, a center uh, centerpiece here. And and again, we've we've gone in terms of business getting dehumanized and and you calling into call centers, for example, if you want to deal with the bank and you call in and they know you by number and they don't know your desires etc so so really my wish would be to to have uh, companies really undertake what you know and, and understand what it takes to really deliver experience in, in this in this day and age right so um, know the customer know their desires understand them and um, and be able to even be proactive I think people are very open and susceptible um, to uh, companies servicing them in very different ways and, and really engaging with them rather than um, going through the, the usual grind that we still see. 
Thank you, Ruben. I'm imagining that social media, the, the cry from the hilltop or from the desktop or from the keypad, is certainly going to be part of our discussion today in terms of when people don't get what they want. It's not made for me. They're going to tell you about it. Guess what? We're up to the part of the show called What's in Your Cup today. I'm going to start with Whitney Johnson. Whitney, what are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking on the break you're taking? If we yes. give you a break, what would you be drinking? Talk well, to me. What I am drinking is ice cold water because that's the best way to start my day, but what I wish I were drinking is a cup mm-hmm. of hot cocoa with whipped cream. Um, it's absolutely my comfort drink. It's always something that we um, drank during the winters on Sunday evening when I was growing up with buttered white toast and hot chocolate, and often when I'm traveling, this is really my go-to drink of sort of this cup of hot cocoa to remind me of being at home. Wow, that that's comfort food, uh, buttered white toast. I can't believe you said that. That does take us back, Whitney. I didn't know you remember those days. But quick question, how do you make the hot chocolate? Is it from a packet? I hope not. Is it you make oh, your no, own? No, no, no. Talk no, to no, me. No, no, no. Um, so I'll make the hot chocolate, um, like I'll make homemade hot fudge, and then I'll use the homemade hot fudge <sighs> as the starter for the actual, and then mix it with the milk and heat it up, and then have that be the hot chocolate. I don't think I could do the rest of the show after hearing that. I think I have to go. I, I use a little bit of uh, unsweetened Hershey's cocoa, add a little the dry cocoa, and then I use a little sugar and add a little hot water, make a paste, and then I add the, the milk, and that's the way I do my hot chocolate. So similar. Your sounds much more complex, though. Thank you, Whitney. That will leave a lasting memory for sure. Elizabeth Hedstrom Henlon, I won't ask you to top that. I never do, but tell me something interesting. What are you drinking? Well, Bonnie knows, Bonnie knows full well I'm an espresso junkie, and I'm actually working from home today, so I had the opportunity to fire up my pod machine before we got on the phone, but I definitely went for the nice hot cup of coffee this morning because um, I think Whitney, if uh, we're both from the greater Boston area, so Whitney, if you're on the ground with me, you'll know that we're dealing with 25 mile an hour winds today and a lovely wind chill that's taken what ought to be spring weather back to probably late February in terms of feel, so it is brisk and blustery today. Same thing here on Long Island. We, I, I couldn't believe I had to put some extra blankets on last night. Went out for dinner, and, and a light coat was definitely not enough. I agree. I think we're getting the same weather system, and the daffodils and the jonquils and the crocuses are trying so hard to keep their heads up and smile. I want to go out and cut them all and bring them in and put them in a vase to protect them, but I know that's not cool, so what can I tell you? Anyway, Reuven Gorscht, where are you today, and what are you drinking? So I'm in Philadelphia this morning, and uh, my drink's a bit of a tongue twister. So right now I'm drinking a decaf non-fat vanilla latte. So, uh, and um, it, actually, funny story. So I'm, I'm completely hooked on these drinks. I gotta have I gotta have one of these lattes per day. And how this happened was I was actually in in, in Boston, coincidentally. So it seems like our, our morning is really revolving around Boston here. Um, at uh, at a really busy Starbucks. I'm usually at just a plain coffee kind of guy and that's what I that's what I ordered but it ended up that day that I picked up someone's drink accidentally I wasn't paying attention I was multitasking <laughs> and until I walked out of that um, Starbucks and took my first sip I realized that it wasn't the right drink and um, but... of course uh, instead of returning it, it ended up tasting pretty good so looking at the label <laughs> and replicating my order uh, now uh... on these decaf non-fat vanilla lattes 
Oh, that is funny. There, there are some commercials, some TV ads about a woman who's eating a fantastic salad at a fast food place. And she said, the woman comes over and says, you're eating my salad. Oh, no, no, no. And, and then she looks and says, isn't that your purse over there? And the woman gobbles up the salad twice as fast because she realizes they do have fresh and healthy salads. Yes, yes, yes. And she didn't know about it till she sat down at the wrong table and ate somebody else's lunch. There you go. I have to mention that our tweeter extraordinaire today, Andy Grieg from SAP Services, is drinking a mixed berry and banana smoothie. Thank you very much, Andy, for that. And Dave Fowler, sponsor of this series, which, by the way, is the future of business with Game Changers, presented by SAP Services. Dave is driving, and he's listening to us from various points along the road. Not sure where. So, Dave, thanks for joining us via mobile. And Andy is doing the tweeting honors today. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And as some of my listeners know, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on show days. I wonder why. You're listening to us live today. It's Thursday, April 24th, 2014. And And our topic today is the future of make for me, the luxury of customer centricity, or you can can substitute the word individuality if you like to. We're going to be right back with a lot more from my very interesting panelists. I know they're all individuals extraordinaire. You've already heard that much. Whitney Johnson, Elizabeth Hedstrom-Henlon, and Reuven Gorsh. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. We'll be right back. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Here we are. Thanks for joining us back. Interesting, interesting topic today. The future of make for me, the luxury of customer centricity or individuality or customization, however you want to term it. I'm going to start off our marathon roundtable, about 30 minutes nonstop. Whitney Johnson is our first panelist up, and I'm looking at some notes that Whitney sent me before the show. Let me quote this, and then Whitney will start us off, and we'll have everybody join in. Whitney says, at the turn of the 20th century, people checked their identity at the door and became Came willing automatons in the new factories in exchange for a hefty increase in pay. This trade-off paid off. The working class began to be able to afford what was once, once considered luxuries. And today, at the turn of the 21st century, we now want the luxury of our individuality. Couldn't have put it better. Whitney, start us off on this, this vast idea of individuality. Let's talk about it in the workplace. Who are we now? What do we want from our jobs? It's a great question, one I think about a lot and have actually been thinking about for a couple of decades. Um, let me tell you, start off the discussion by telling you a story. 
1999, so about 15 years ago, I had been covering emerging market uh, media at um, Merrill Lynch and actually Solomon Brothers at this point for about three years. I had an institutional investor ranked, which means I was award-winning, and I wanted this shot at covering U.S. stocks. So I went to management, and I thought, they're going to say yes. And so I approached them, and their response was just, we like you right where you are. And so in early 2000, I moved to Merrill Lynch. And then five years later, I'm now working really hard. I've been an award-winning analyst for eight years. I'm covering telecom as well. Um, I think I'm double-ranked in, in obviously, two sectors now, not just one. Again, I say to them, I want to jump to a new learning curve. Same script like you right where you are. So this Mm -hmm. time I just packed up my dreams and I walked out of the industry. But the question that was really lingering for me is, I had done good work, and so why didn't management want to reward me with the opportunity to do more good work? Mm-hmm. In retrospect, what I didn't understand is that both Solomon and Merrill were doing exactly what I, as an analyst, hoped and expected them to do. They were grounded in 20th century enterprise logic. Their profitability hinged on economies of scale and standardization. So employees at that point were at best or excuse me, at worst classified as an operating expense and at best as a sentient form of PP&E. So my wanting to change roles was actually like a car's wheel aspiring to be an engine, and it was just a non-starter. Interesting. And, and Whitney, uh, I want to just bring in one more piece from your notes, and then we'll ask the other panelists to chime in after you talk. You say the gaming industry clearly understands the 21st century need for self-determination. That's another way of looking at what we're discussing. So are companies ready for self-determination? Do they want people? We talk about investing in human capital management and helping people find their path and their goal and bringing their dreams to work. Do we really mean it yet? Do companies, big companies really mean it, or do you only find that in the the startups, the lean and mean, come be part of our core team and realize our dreams together? Where do you see this today? Well, I think I think companies want it and individuals inside of companies want it, but the corporations are not set up in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take a look at some of the research that out, is out there, you see that, you know, intangibles make up 60%, 80% of a corporation's worth, which is basically your human capital. But then when you start to survey senior management managers, they'll tell you that most of them um, don't have any metrics in place to actually measure the, import, you know, the performance of this asset class. So you've now got these 20th century corporations who are saying human capital is really important, but there's no way to measure what is, in fact, the most important value driver. And so I think what's going to happen, like all great disruptions, is that this idea of make for me and customization is going to start with the startups. We're going to have new business models, and then those new business models will eventually overtake those corporations that started, you know, still have the 20th century logic. Thank you, Whitney. Elizabeth Hedstrom Handlum, I know you have a lot to say on this. Want to chime in, please? Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's fascinating because it, when you look at the buyer's market, the idea that the customers really have at least the ability to make changes in how they do business in ways that they haven't done before. Uh, and I think, Bonnie, you've talked with, with some of my colleagues, um, including Alan mm-hmm. Kranz and Jillian Morandi, who cover our cloud segment cloud really being a big a big driver of that it's a lot easier to consume something as a service instead of redeploying everything i look at the idea of companies being ready for self-determination as a really great example of that they're going to have to be in my opinion because uh, you're dealing with a world where shadow it is a very real reality and people can really take 
and make changes, at least from the from the IT deployment perspective, almost without even trying to. So I look at the and I look at the applications market in particular, which is where I spend a lot of my coverage time. I see the rise of of industry application discussions for this year as a key example of I need what I need and I need it right now. So I, mm-hmm. I, I I'm I'm watching this market this year with just absolutely fascinated eyes because it's a market that is that has I think a perception of being legacy and a perception of being lagging and maturing and I think that there's a lot of very interesting divergent trends that are coming together inside this applications market of buyers' needs and vendors' responses that are really starting to change the way a very established market does business. Thank you, Elizabeth. Ruben Gorsh, thoughts? Yeah, I just just wanted to build on uh, Whitney's point just around Mm -hmm. what happens um, when we really customize customize the engagement of, of, uh, of of an employee at the workplace. Um, so I think it's very obvious and some surveys, for, for example, state that we've, we've got a major employee engagement crisis in the workplace. And uh, just to quote some numbers, so 13% of employees are actually feeling that they're engaged in, in the workplace. 66% of them are feeling overwhelmed. And, and we've seen a ton of pressure, of course, through the financial crisis. And as companies um, become or strive to become more lean, get a lot, a lot more done with less resources, less people, etc. And if you really think about the way that we've been managing our, our talent and rewarding a talent, it's been done in a very generic way. It's really a one-size-fits-all. We, you know, we pay everyone on the same compensation plan. We motivate everyone the same. We assume that everyone is. Um, is, is essentially you know part part of a group or part of a department in a company and, and have that um, and, and have that non differentiated approach where as in in actual truth um, people's desires motivators uh, what drives them is 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 very unique and different right so each of us has a very unique motivator and organizations really need to adapt and, and, and understand those motivators and engage their employees rather than managing them, right? So, again, we're, we're moving from a management state to an engagement state. And, uh, you know, Whitney's uh, example earlier really resonated in terms of, you know, seeing that paradigm shift from the 20th century company and the way, the way we lead and engage all the way down to um, how it needs to be done because, those, again, those engagement scores are, are really um, telling a pretty grim story. And if I could jump in here with a statistic yes. that I think it's fascinating, um, Tower Parents International, um, a study that they did is that it, a highly engaged workforce increases operating income by 19.2%, while low engagement leads to a 32.7% decline in operating profit. And so what's interesting there is there's this idea of, well, we don't, we can't spend on people because there's no ROI. And yet we are seeing that there's actually, in fact, a very direct ROI is if people, if you find ways to customize how you're rewarding your employees, as Ruben is saying, then they're going to become more productive and that directly leads to higher profitability. And if I can follow on with that, I think it's mm-hmm. really to um, the comment I made earlier about customer need and vendor response. When I look at the vendors that are really active in this space, there's so much at stake for them in terms of retaining their own install bases in the enterprise application space that I think that 
you're seeing a lot of major players, Oracle, SAP, Microsoft, IBM, trying to figure out how they become the trusted advisor to their customer. How do they help their customers solve this engagement problem, solve this very real business problem? Because when it comes down to it, it's all about what's in it for them as well as what's in it for their customer. Be that trusted advisor. Defend yourself from some very disruptive up-and-comers like Workday, like Tableau, like ClickTech. And so I think it's, it's a fascinating balance. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. I want to move into more of the consumer area right now. I want to cover the idea of we are individuals. We want what we want. And we can come back, of course, to the software side, the IT side, and the, the job side. Good, good discussion, everyone. Reuven, I'm going to turn to some talking points you sent me before the show. A couple of very telling things that I think are crocheable. Elizabeth knows that means I want to put it on the side of a pillow and remind myself about it. You say the problem is that none of us is average. We crave unique experiences. I don't think we brought the word average into the conversation. So talk to us about some of those up and coming or almost there. And I know, Reuven, from your perspective, your POV, the software is there. The technology is there. Companies may not yet be using it. Maybe they're tentative. Maybe they're afraid. And your comment is stand in line at any Starbucks and listen to people order. It very quickly drives the point home. So let's, let's move into the purely consumer area just for a little bit. Reuven, why don't you lead the, lead the charge here, please? Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. So, so absolutely. I mean, uh, the the from a technology perspective, we've got all the pieces that are there today, and in fact, they've been there for years. Companies have been collecting tremendous amount of data about their customers. Um, co- companies are now analyzing that data and turning that into into action. But there is there is a next level here. There is a, there is there is a level that takes all that data, all that intelligence, and knowing a consumer into really providing that experience versus just sending out coupons or, or, or getting, into, um, getting into a marketing campaign. And, and again, setting that, putting that customer in that box of a segment. Um, so, so what we're seeing is the, the opportunity is, is really opening up for, for a lot of companies. And it's not only a matter of, of having an opportunity in, in terms of a competitive advantage, because today's competitive advantage can quickly become tomorrow's imperative. And what we're seeing also mm. is tremendous disruption that's coming in, for example, from the maker economy. So we've, you know, we've got marketplaces like Etsy that basically sell about 12 million items at any given time, and anyone that's a crafter making their own stuff now has a way not only to produce stuff, but also to, to very quickly um, reach markets and, and sell them at any given time. You've also got disruption coming in. If you look at funding models like Kickstarter, it really mm-hmm. makes it easy now for individuals and small companies alike. And if, if you if you follow the example for um, of the Pebble Watch that was um, initially looking to raise a fairly small amount, they've created a prototype and um, it just took off like wildfire. And I believe today they've they've sold three or four hundred thousand watches for a fairly small startup. That's significant. So you've got Companies again, like Apple, like like Sony, etc., or Samsung, are looking at that market and are seeing that as a disruptor. So it can very quickly turn around and and become uh, an imperative. Good, very well put. And Whitney, you have a comment here in your talking points. You say dreams are disruptors. Talk to, to what Ruben's discussing, please. What what are your thoughts? Any good case studies, Whitney, in personal or as you travel on business? 
that um, dreams are disruptors or that people are disruptors? What, what's well, your either one. People have dreams, and, and who's causing all this disruption? How much are we oh, dreaming yeah, about yeah, this absolutely. customization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, what I would say is that, you know, what's been interesting over the years is that, um, you know, again, back to the 20th century logic, it's been like, we want to sell you dreams, but now people are saying, actually, I want to make my dreams. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I think is really important as you think about this idea of disruption is there's a lot about disruption that's actually pretty scary. I mean, you're playing in a place where no one wants to play or has thought of playing, so you're sort of a trailblazer, as it were. And in order for you to get over the fear of doing that, you need to have dreams because what dreams do is they they make you hunger for a better life. It's one of the reasons why you see so much um, innovation in developing markets. And then dreams also make us problem solvers. They make us think, okay, nothing is going to stand in my way. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And I think if you'll look at, you know, a lot of people that go on Kickstarter now, which I think is a fantastic example, they're saying, I have a dream of something that I want to build. And I haven't had traditional funding sources available to me, whether it's banks or venture funding. I'm going to take this to the people. And they're finding, whether it's the Pebble Watch or it's the sous vide cooker out of the, you know, the Seattle Food Geek blog or it's, um, you know, whatever it may be, uh, or I, I know what I was going to say, the Be a Sport Watch, which is, you know, has a GPS watch on it for women, women athletes. Um, whatever it is, they've taken their dream to the people and they've found a way to become a problem solver and get those projects and those dreams and those ideas funded. Thank you. Elizabeth, thoughts? You know, it, I, first of all, I love, I love the concept of, of dreams and we're being a disruptor because we're, we're seeing a very interesting from our, from our buyer behavior research, an interesting almost inversion of that in that when we talk to the IT managers, they're really focused on how do they become seen as innovators rather than cost centers. How can they reinvent themselves and their roles with, of course, no money, no time, and no support, but transform the way in which they do their jobs so that they can be partner to the business buyer, partner to the business point of outreach in in changing and evolving the way that things are done. So this idea of how do you disrupt from within and at times with minimal support, I think, is something that's very, very real right now. You know, Elizabeth, I find that so interesting, though. I mean, I, I've, you know, I don't know if you've read the book CIO Paradox by Martha Heller, but I think it's so fascinating how within a large organization, the IT people are seen as a cost center rather than um, as, you know, an innovator, and yet that's where this whole idea is getting flipped, right? Because exactly. if you look in the startup community, you know, people have ideas galore, but what they're in desperate need of is a CTO, a CIO, a person Someone who has the technological driver. expertise that can make their dream come alive. And so I, I think, I just think it's interesting how that, even that is getting flipped. Absolutely. And then you look at what happens to cultures when, you deal with the because a big part of what we do is we look at the at business models of these firms and so when you see the startup get acquired by the larger firm, I always find it fascinating to track how long the executives from those startups stay in house. Yep. Do they make it past the twelve month mark? Uh, you know, the the moment the agreement's done, have they moved on? Are they on their way out, or do they stay? And I, you know, there's. Uh, a, there's some. I mean, you can look at the CEOs across the landscape as, as examples of that, but one of the ones that comes to mind in terms of folks that have stayed is Martin Casado, formerly of Nasira and now of VMware, who is still very much 
at the forefront of setting strategy for a company that is very clearly evolving its own culture? How does it embrace being more agile, more innovative? So it's a it's such a real problem for so many customers and companies in this market, whether you're the vendor or the buyer, that innovation just, ha- I think, has to be an essential part of what's, of how business is done. Right. You know, I just... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ruben. And then I'll. Ruben, go ahead. Thanks, yep. Whitney. No, I think uh, just just to just to build on that, I, I see I see it as also there's a there's a major cultural angle here as well in terms of, you know, how a company takes ideas and 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 brings them into reality, right? And we've seen a lot of companies that have um, just just a really severe amount of complexity and and bureaucracy. So there's there's really any company's got extremely talented people, there's really great ideas, and the, the, the best ideas come from people within the business. They see it every day. They see, um, they see issues of how they may be disconnected from customers or how they can um, enable entirely new revenue streams, etc. And Unfortunately, a lot of those ideas are really dying on the vine. And, and it goes back to Elizabeth's point just around, again, the, the IT folks, a lot of that ingenuity comes from the IT ranks, and and then it becomes a matter of prioritizing whether they keep the lights on and and, mm-hmm. and figure out you know how to keep security and and all all the various things that are hitting their desk versus that innovation. And and we really need to figure out how to balance both, um, keep the lights on, but also essentially make that make that shift into innovation. And some companies have have it somewhat figured out, and some are now installing essentially um, intermediary roles like the chief digital officer sitting between IT and marketing and, and, and so on. So more forth layers. Are, mm-hmm. Yeah, taking on uh, more of that responsibility of driving uh, the business requirements, again, but executing through IT. Interesting. Somebody else had a comment, and then I want to go yeah. in a very different direction. Go ahead, okay. Whitney. Okay, I, I did. I mean, as I was listening to the two of you talk, I was thinking, you know what? We, we, we talk all the time about the most innovative companies in America kind of thing, and and yet what we all know is that actually, you know, the sausage making is actually really complicated, and it occurred to me it could be really interesting to do a ranking of Companies that acquire and building on what you said, Elizabeth, is how long are the CEOs and the senior people from the, the a company being acquired, how long do they stay? Because I think the longer they stay, what that means is that David is able to play in the same stable with Goliath. And if they can play together, then they're able to actually move innovation forward in, inside of an organization. So it would be a really interesting study to look at, you know, the longevity of these executives in a new organization as an indicator of how innovative a company actually is in terms of the culture. Whitney, it sounds like we've got our first project. (laughs) I was going to say, something's going to come out of this show. It absolutely is. I want to, we're going to take a break in about seven minutes. I want to go back to one of Whitney's notes before the show and have everybody chime in on this. Whitney, you talk about the gaming industry clearly understands 21st century need for self-determination. I mentioned that before. But then you go on to say, consider what Jane McGonigal, author of Reality is Broken, says are the defining characteristics of a good game. And I want to focus on the first one, Whitney, and then have everybody add to it. You say, tackle unnecessary obstacles that push us to the edge of our abilities. Is that a mantra for everything we're talking about, the companies that are trying to meet the customer needs, the customers who are trying to figure, what do I really want, the IT departments that are trying to get out of just being a cost center and to say, what can we really accomplish for everybody? Want to talk to me about that, Whitney? 
Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think all of, I mean, this again goes back to this idea of bringing our dreams to work. I mean, when we're Mm -hmm. dream, we're aspiring to something, we're breathing life into, and we're saying, I want to make myself. I want to, you know, it's not just make products. I want to make myself. And when we tackle obstacles that push us to the edge of our abilities, we're making ourselves and our dreams are coming alive. And so I think, I think that when we give the people who work for us the opportunity to do that, then, then they come alive and then they become productive. So, so, and we see that all the time in gaming. I have a, you know, 17 year old son who loves to game and you absolutely see him tackling unnecessary obstacles within the context or confines of that game. Thank you. Elizabeth, thoughts about pushing past those and unnecessary, what are the unnecessary obstacles you see in the world you cover at TBR, Elizabeth? You know, it, I think the obstacles are, they, fall in different buckets, but in the end, I think what they boil down to is agility. And mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a world where, I, you know, I'm talking more of the broader, I, in, broader ICT world as a whole that we cover. This is a world where companies are so big or so new that they either can't move quickly enough or they have to pivot and balance. I have my 15 minutes of fame what am I going to do with it? Am I building to be acquired or am I building to make my mark? So mm. I think it's how do you find your agility, reinvent your agility, or in some cases maximize what time you have to be agile and get the most bang for your dollar. So it, that's where I think all of these unnecessary obstacles boil down to is how do you find and master agility as a, 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 in a business model. Great point. I like the introduction of agility and talking about different size companies. You know, we until recently had a show called Startup Focus with Game Changers, and I was privileged to speak with serial entrepreneurs who, as I say, hit the ground running, not small but big. They said we can sell to big enterprises. We can have a global footprint. We can come out of the box kicking and screaming and say, wow, look at us. We have solved a problem you needed solved. Buy from us. Very, very interesting people. They're hardy. They were Agile, they were quick on their feet, but they were also serious development people. A really, really good combination. Reuven Gorsh, do you want to talk about what we're, we're discussing on this concept of, of tackling unnecessary obstacles that push us to the edge of our abilities? Any thoughts? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So uh, I really like Whitney's example, and I'm a big fan of uh, Jane McGonigal's in terms of how we boil it down to engagement. What What is it within that, that we have within a game environment? And I'm not just talking about video games. If you think traditional card mm-hmm. games or chess, etc., you, you've got this certain level of of immersion. And and if you if you watch people playing games, they're they're into it. They're willing to do whatever it takes to win. And um, and, and the way it's really designed is is, is to is to mo- is to motivate people, right? To level up, to 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 take it to the next level, to improve their skills, and eventually getting to mastery. So, so what we've seen um, in a lot of examples of of a trend called gamification, which is essentially taking some of those mechanics that are that we find in in uh, in games and applying them to the world of, for example, software to to drive adoption. And and as we know, you can have the best piece of software in the world, but it's only as good as as the people that are using it. So in terms of overcoming those obstacles, it's really all about adoption and and how how do you 
then take some of those learnings from the gaming world, incorporate them into either a piece of software or a service, et cetera. And a lot of companies are really jumping on the trend, doing it really well. Um, and, and by that, they're, they're essentially increasing adoption. Customers are now, again, getting, getting engaged and, um, and, and want to do, you know, want to do business and want to continue to use, um, the, uh, the services. And, and of course, back to the theme is, um, is, is, really catering to the individual, right? Understanding what motivates mm-hmm. them and, and being able to understand their triggers. Thank you. Whitney, I want to bring in one more point from Jane McGonigal and have everybody go around the table quickly. The point is number four in her list of the six defining characteristics of a good game, and this is find better hope of success because failure is fun, and in parentheses, as in it's acceptable even part of the game. Failure is fun. Is this part of the individualization we're talking about in terms of our personal ethics and the companies that hire us and the IT departments that try to figure out how to make it all happen for us? How do you feel about failure is fun? Uh, I, well, first of all, I think it's it, it makes it sound, you know, sound very easy to do. I think one of the problems is, is that if we look at the corporate world in general, you know, the ethos tends to be kill or be killed, control or be controlled, which means you can never fail. And so when we're talking about making failure fun inside of a corporation, um, that's, for most corporations, a real shift because what it also means is that if you, if I allow my colleague to fail, I'm not using their failure as an opportunity to get ahead or get that next promotion. Um, so I think in terms of making failure fun, it's, it's this challenge of today we're going to experiment and see what we learn. And that makes failure fun. Uh, let's figure this out. What are we going to see? Let's try five experiments today. What happens? Let's A-B test. What happens? And so it's a whole, there's a whole psychology to it of today we're going to learn as opposed to today we're going to see if it works or not. And if it doesn't work, then it becomes a referendum on me or you as an employee. So, so I think it requires a big shift, but I certainly think, again, it's doable if we have this experimentation mentality. Thank you. Another good word, experimentation mentality. Uh, Elizabeth Hestrom Henlon, why don't you give me 30 seconds on that comment? We'll round out with Reuben, and then we're going to go to break. Go ahead, Elizabeth. I, you know, I love, I love the idea of failure is fun, and I think when you look at the world that I live in every day, it's, it, that manifests itself as who is taking control of their own destiny and who is letting the customer dictate where they go, because. If you are going to be that market leader, you're going to be the one setting the path of this is our goal, this is our destination, customers come with us for the journey because we will lead you to a place that is better for all of us versus those vendors that are more in a in a place of reaction, in a place of I'll solve that problem, I'll solve that problem, I'll solve that problem without really taking a step back and saying it's time for reinvention. It's time for us to be bold, be brave, be big, never mind the fact that some of us have more employees and some countries have citizens. We are going to turn the needle and move to our next act. So I think it's, it's, it's failure is fun. I think transformation is brave, and that's probably a ah, way I would pivot that. I oh, like to like pivot. That. That's tweetable. It's- isn't that wonderful? I love yes. that. Yes, and crocheteable too, and, and graffitiable. Reuven, why don't you round me out? Thirty seconds, go. Sure. I, I think um, just just the point that uh, Elizabeth made is around the, the paradigm change around um, 
being good enough versus being perfect. And I think consumers and, uh, are, are starting to really accept and, in fact, really appreciate the authentic part, even if you're not perfect, right? So that brings us back to the iteration and, and, and making mistakes um, is, is, is fine. And as long as, as long as you're able to address them, as long as you're able to learn. But, you know, in, in product and service development, if you want to get it right, you've got to be able to iterate, 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 and it also adds to your agility. Uh, you know, customers are not going to wait around for five years for a new watch to come out. They, they, they'll buy the watch that maybe is not perfect today, but as long as you commit to um, iterating with the customer, listening to the customer, and incorporating their feedback and they're seeing results, I think um, they, they've come to accept that uh, um, good enough is, is something to take a bet on. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. We're going to take a break. I'm speaking today with Whitney Johnson, Disruption Innovation Facilitator. I love that title. Elizabeth Hedstrom Henlon at TBR and Reuven Gorst at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we're talking about future of make for me the luxury of customer centricity. Lots of great buzzwords floating around, lots of great information, insights, and things to live by. When we come back, we're going to ask our panelists, I will ask my panelists, to look ahead either to 2019, five years ahead from today, or if you like the idea that hindsight is 2020, jump six years to 2020 and tell me what would we be talking about if we met again then on the future of Make for Me? Will we no longer be talking about it? everybody will be doing it? We have everything we want when we want it, or will it still be something off into the next future? We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that dial, that app. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the pace of innovation is moving faster than ever and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data the new global pool of talent resource scarcity and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. We are on a couple of shout-outs. I want to thank SAP Services for tweeting and shouting out and for being a sponsor of this show. You're listening to Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP Services. That's Dave Fowler on the road today. Andy Grieg is taking up the tweeting duties, and he is tweeting under, under at... SAP Services, thank you. And we also have to do a shout-out to our very loyal listener, Karen Geraldo. She goes by Geraldo 24 on Twitter. And I will just tell my panelists that Karen just tweeted the following. 
She says commitment to clients, careers, and colleagues through agility, trust, and technology. Thank you very much, Karen. Always glad to have. Isn't that nice? Isn't that? She also said, I think this is in reference to you, Whitney. She said it's good to be part of the 13%. I have to go back. What was that 13%, Whitney? Was it your comment? Uh, Oh, I don't know. We'll have to see the uh, the the percentage of employees that are engaged. Oh, that are engaged. Oh, Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was. Thank you. I was looking through my notes. Anyway, Whitney, I can give you just about ninety seconds to wrap up. Take me to the future. Crystal ball time. Is it a Steuben crystal ball? I don't care what it is. If it's acrylic, just knowing you, it's Steuben. Go ahead and look ahead. What will we be talking about in five or six years? Twenty twenty. Well, thinking about twenty twenty, my son will be in. Who's now seventeen will be in the workforce. We're going to be at the tail end of sort of this mass, you know, entry into the workforce of millennials. And here's what I know about this generation. They've grown up with more parental attention than the prior generation, so it's more about me. Um, They've had computer games and Internet. We've really given them a life made for them, and entertainment is made for them, whether it's computer games or social media. Technology is available to build those made-for-me products, whether it's 3D printing or the quantified cell products like Fitbit. So I think that at that point, six years from now, Made For Me will not be something that we'll be talking about because it will just be a given. That will be our world that we're living in. Ah, thank you very much. We hear that on some of these shows, that it will be, it will come to pass. Thank you, Whitney, so much. Elizabeth? At TBR, I'm just going to going to shortcut you to Elizabeth because we know you so well. Oh, that's the, fine. I, the I future, as, as Whitney <laughs> was talking about her son, because in 2020, my four-year-old will be in college, and so I'm thinking ahead. And it, this is a world where I think you're going to see people really being able to create even more now their own path and their own product than they did in the past. And I'll tell you, I want my daughter to be a coder and I want her to be the technologist that her political science degree carrying mother never was. So I think (laughs) it's an exciting time. Very exciting time. Thank you for that. Anything else to add, Elizabeth? We have a little more time for you. I'll give you another another minute. Anything more? (laughs) You know what? Come back to me after Ruben. I'll probably have a I will. I will. We're going quickly here. Reuven Gorsh, SAP. Thoughts? Thinking ahead. What will we be talking about five or six years from today? Well, I see, I see a lot of what we've, talking about, uh, what we've been talking about today become mainstream. And, and again, not, not, to, not to rehash the word experience, but, but everything will eventually turn into an experience. Once the technologies all converge, you're going to be able to get a completely tailored experience. So I'll be able to walk into a Starbucks and the drink will be right there on the counter for me, my, my tall decaf non-fat. And will it be latte. your own drink or someone else's? <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully technology can solve that. But, again, there's always the human error. It could um, be spin the, it, spin the cup instead of spin the wheel. Who wants to heck Ruben's drink today and see if they like exactly. it? Go ahead, Ruben. Go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. And, and – Again, everything you know, um, everything that's mass produced, we we can turn into a, a customized, made for me type of uh, type of product. So picture picture yourself. You need a new you need need a new outfit, perhaps a new pair of jeans. Take a picture of yourself, and it's delivered to you within a couple hours by the Amazon drone, sort of thing, right? So, mm. and, and again, uh, back to the technology being available today. It's just about weaving it together and and putting it around an experience that truly understands the individual's desires 
and even more so, that individual will have different contexts, right? So it needs to understand that, you know, if I walk into Starbucks, I've only had three hours sleep, perhaps I need the, the venti size versus my, my usual tall, right? But now you're scaring me. What about privacy? We didn't talk about privacy, and I know we're out of time. But, Ruben, why don't you just quickly give me 30 seconds on the privacy of a vendor knowing so much about me when I walk in and having everything ready. How would they know I didn't have enough sleep? Are they talking to my refrigerator, my air conditioner, the heater in my house? How much How much M2M and IoT are they talking about? Scare me? Make me oh, feel good. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think they, they'd know anything anything and everything at this point in time from you know um again the the fitbit that you're wearing today that's tracking your sleep habits that's up in the cloud etc but as as with anything privacy um or or the convenience of getting an experience comes with trade-offs in in privacy and there's lots of discussion um especially when google acquired nest around what's going to happen with the privacy in your own home is is the thermostat going to invade my privacy etc and, and again, my view is it's it's something that's optional. You can always turn it off, but it is it's always going to be, and there always will be trade-offs in terms of how much privacy are you willing to give up in order to get those more customized experiences and get uh, brands, companies, um, even uh, your, your social circle to get to know you better, so that they can um, so they can essentially make um, and cater to you. Thank you very much. Good wrap-up. I'm going to do my wrap-up. I have it written down. It's easy. Today was, let's see, Monday we start our cycle all over again. Financial excellence with Game Changers. Monday's 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, where I am. Tuesday, it's not Belgium. It's time for HR Trends with Game Changers. Those of you who know the movie reference, I think it was, it's Tuesday. It must be Belgium about globe-trotting people who were visitors and travelers and tourists who knew the schedule by the day of the country. Anyway, HR Trends with Game Changers, Tuesday's 9 a.m. Pacific. 12 noon here. Coffee break with Game Changers, my ongoing flagship show, the mother of all of Game Changers shows, Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. And we'll be right back here next Thursday, 7 a.m. Pacific. Yes, it's worth getting up early for and 10 a.m. Eastern for Future of Business with Game Changers. Thank you to my superb panel, Whitney Johnson. Pleasure to meet you. And Elizabeth Hedstrom Henlon, all the best. You know what we mean. And Reuven Gorscht, also a pleasure to meet you. Dave Fowler at SAP Services, thanks for Sponsoring Andy Grieg, thanks for doing the tweets. Karen Geraldo, we have a new tweeter named Marika. Thank you for joining us on Twitter. Richard Green at CT Discoveries, thanks for introducing us and paving the way for Whitney to be part of the show and Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP. And thank you to my to Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.